Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into the show. It is a Tuesday, September 26th edition of Voice the Colors. It is another game week. Today we're turning our attention to Rice, the Pirates season opener at Rice. Coming up this Saturday, we'll also recap a little bit more of the Gardner-Webb game as well because we got Joe Sampson in studio. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as always. Later in the show, we will be joined by Matthew Bartlett, the editor of At the Roost, covering Rice football. And we'll talk with him around 10. But until then, we got Joey Football. And Joe, we finally got a win to talk about. It feels good. I'm so excited. I, I can't lie to you. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of negativity and just the bad things the Pirates have kind of done. So this should be a very fun show to talk about the positives and what we did well to move forward. It feels you know, refreshing to obviously talk about a win, but also to talk about a shutout victory. I mean, 44-0. I don't care who you're playing, Joe, to, to win – and to keep somebody off the scoreboard has to be a pretty special feeling if you're in that locker room. I can't imagine. We weren't able to get it done any of the time I was there. Obviously, it's the first one since 2000. I think it was against Duke. Duke, is yeah. The statistic. Yeah, Phillip, uh, Phillips Dukies. Yeah, so yep. take that one. Right. Congrats, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's definitely weird because you've had all these talks. You want to have a shutout. You want to do these things to control the game and kind of limit what the offense can do production-wise. And we weren't able to kind of hold on to it. They'd kick a field goal. They'd get the late touchdown because we put the backups in or whatnot and that's just kind of how the game flows out so to get a shutout is huge i mean that's a great turning point and a great kind of confidence builder for the defense and even the offense to be like hey we kept them in it just the same we didn't turn the ball over as much you were there in the press box uh sitting close to me pretty miserable conditions as far as just playing football (laughs) when you're a player playing in that like how much you know they always say like you gotta embrace it but how much does it really kind of just stink it, it stinks in warm-ups, yeah. I think is the best way to put it. Because when you're dry and it's soaking wet, it's like, this is terrible. I don't want to be out here right now. I refuse. And then once you're soaking wet, you're like, this is so much fun. This right. is like when I was a kid and mom told me I had to come inside because I was playing in the rain. And all of a sudden, I'm doing a slip and slide in the backyard because I scored a touchdown. So there's like mixed emotions to it. Obviously, as a ball carrier and as a receiver, you despise it because at no point are you going to get a dry ball towards you, even if you go to the the wet gloves or you try and the tape on the fingers like the old school days. You know it's going to be a difficulty and kind of more of a focus to try and look the ball in and tuck it. But as a defender, you live for it because you can just poke everything out, and that's just the nature of the game is to create fumbles and cost turnovers. And I always have heard that when it's that wet and slippery, a lot of receivers – want to go away from the gloves yeah do you you know as a, as a tight end did you ever want to feel like during a wet game to take the gloves off i hated the rain gloves yeah. i'm gonna be honest they're leather as opposed to the uh, tacky neoprene so the leather like when it gets wet it's fine because it creates like your fingers would when it gets pruny but i despised it because i had no feeling on how to right. grip the ball or figure out where the pressure point would be so i was always the tape fingers like the old school mike allstott days Okay, well, yeah. that's a that's a good good approach to have. I remember Audio Matosho took the gloves off in a rain game and caught started catching the ball, caught a touchdown. I think that was South Florida on a third. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so just Audio Matosho, he was blast from the past. Yeah, he was also just like so 
down to earth and you talk right. about his chakras being aligned so he could feel the energy so he liked to feel the energy from the football love, love you Adi but yeah, that's going next level that's yeah. it was he was so far beyond the astral plane we were on I can't process it right. I remember talking to him at media day that year and I was like this guy is awesome I hope we get to interview him like 10 times because we never got to talk to him again but like you said he was like a really cool guy easy to talk to man he was great I just thought I was like felt like I was having a drink with the guy when I was actually interviewing him for a job yeah, Audie was a cool guy off the field. He's, he's now he's like a what an Instagram model. Yeah, he's or something. like an Instagram model. He's in uh, I think he's in Dallas now. He works for like a fashion company. He was he was always just because he came from UCLA, so right. he had like that West Coast type of lifestyle. But he used to. It's a really funny story. He used to bring a ping pong machine with him to camp, and he'd sit in the meeting room and just have it like blast at him and just be catching it while watching film. And we we're like, bro, what what are you doing? Like practice doesn't happen for another two hours. Be like. Bro, I gotta get warmed up. Like I can get my mind right and look the ball in. We're like, Audie, it is six AM on a Tuesday. What are you talking about? He was just uh he, came, he, he came, was just like connected. He came in, I guess, as a grad student, so he only had so many classes. He was just like, I'm just gonna go <laughs> yeah. go do that for yeah. hours on end. Basically. Um so Pirates went forty four zero. Defensively a ton of standouts. So I was doing the, the pro football focus numbers and basically everybody that played graded out above average so i mean that's what happens when you get a shutout everybody's yeah. got to play pretty well just watching the game what position group or individuals really stood out to you defensively the safety stood out yeah. and they rotated i think it was four or five uh considering yeah. just the amount of play that they got with no the screen game yeah no tegan wilk uh we saw him dressed in warm-ups but mm -hmm. just no tegan wilk as far as the game goes so devin king stepped up a couple times on my rogers so I think it was interesting to see how they covered the space, especially with a team like that that kind of runs the alley with the screen game and tries to hit those outside runs. They filled it really well, and there was no issue as far as where they were and how they had to cover it. There was no lapse where, okay, they can get beat over the top with this double pass play or whatnot. So they really cleaned that up. The D-line looked unbelievable. Uh, Lampley's really settling in at edge, and we were kind of worried at the beginning of the year, based on his size and his build, if he was going to be effective. and. <laughs> He's pretty effective. He's been good, yeah. Uh, big Shuford, I mean, anybody whose nickname is Big is usually a very good run stopper, and Shuford's kind of looked that part as well. Linebacker play was great. Taylor Jackson had a great game. I think he had a – was it career high in tackles? Seven tackles, I think, was a career high. I think it was a career high. Six solo, one assisted, mm -hmm. I believe. So he looked great. He's looking really He's looked really solid. solid as far as a signal caller for the defense as well. Sam Danka. 19 snaps, career high. Career high, Philip. Sam Danka. I'm happy. I was happy. Sam Danka uh, graded out well, according to PFF. Did have two tackles and a pass breakup. He allowed one catch for nine yards, uh, and that was really his only negative. So I, I need him to see the field more. And we saw Jeremy Lewis playing like you, you, you <laughs> yeah. pointed out, like a hybrid yeah, uh, uh, wheel linebacker. It's like position. a hybrid three-three stack yeah. almost, because uh, technically, as our the way it sits is normally where three-four multiple because we have the same linebacker and Jeremy's a rush outside linebacker. Yeah. But yeah, more of a three-three stack, kind of giving him a chance to play in between the box and in between the tackles. So and he got a sack from that position. He just yeah. he, he ran in, swim move the guard. And I taught him that move. Toasted him. Yeah, I taught him that move. I told Twitter, I'll tell him. I taught him that move. A little shallow swim move. Get the elbow over. Don't go full over. It's a uh, kind of like a snatch by also. So, so it's Coach Tesh specialty. Credit Joe Sampson, future ECU outside linebackers coach. 
uh, he'll add it to his resume in addition to playing every position and now being in the media. <laughs> you can truly do it all. You need to really be a good source when you're on staff and on the show. Um, another guy, Deontay Johnson, we were talking about earlier, he, he actually finished graded out as the highest Pirates, uh, dominant on the interior defensive line. But B.J. Davis, man, mm. another guy with just length. He played 41 snaps, which was the most of his time at ECU. Mm-hmm. And this was like the perfect Sam Danka and B.J. <laughs> Davis game because they're so long. We saw both of them get their arms up right. with Gardner-Webb's kind of spread style where they really spread it out. These guys, they play in space. That's what they do. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this in conference plays. I think we're going to see a lot more teams spread it out as opposed to Michigan, what App State and Marshall have done. I think we're going to see a lot more high flying, so a lot more B.J. Davis and hopefully Sam Danka. We joked about it a lot. We wanted to see more Sam Danka and more B.J. Davis. But what you've kind of put is exactly what the coaching staff's going to think. When you have that kind of length and you can play out in the spread like that and you can limit the outside run, you can limit the outside passes, those quick screen games that we see a lot of teams starting to go to with the super spread offense, as Coach Harrell refers to it, they can close the space and create that kind of mismatch that you're hoping for and look for those turnovers. And Dank is really young, but I see him kind of transitioning to more of that B.J. Davis role where he can kind of play positionless is really the best way to put it, which is tough to say on defense, but that really is what it is. Offensively, 44 points. A lot of that was helped out by the turnovers. ECU had five turnovers forced, some of them really unforced, but that's you know what we say, I guess. Uh, but uh, they, they capitalized on them for the most part. They did leave a few opportunities on the field after turnovers. But, you know, we saw improvements by the offense, and I think you look at Gardner-Webb, how much they struggled with the rain and for ECU to have 366 yards and to score over 40 points, it was a solid offensive day. I'm not going to say this offense is fixed, but we did see positives. I think Hurricane Donnie just needed to vent. I think after his presser on Thursday, he just kind of let it all go. And the pressure seemed to be off him, even as a play caller. He just looked a lot more right. loose. There was a lot more rhythm to the game and a feel for what was working and what wasn't. There weren't too many drives that stalled out. I think it was only two or three in the first yeah. half. And they looked the part after that 7-for-7 in the red zone, which is a huge thing to be able to do, especially with an offense that was kind of struggling and not finding their footing. So, once again, Hurricane Donnie brings the winds of change. And um, I think Flynn looked great in the first half. Going to Mason in the second half was also good to get him that experience and kind of give him a chance to get a feel for the game also. We saw Raheem Jeter. We did. So there's the first of the four I predicted. So we'll find out how that kind of plays into it. Yeah, it's good to see Raheem get a shot. Good to see ECU go to the, the bench when they got a big lead to get yeah. that quarterback the experience. Uh, Mason Garcia, 9 of 12. He had the, you had the Rajay Harris drop. Um, earlier in that play, he did have Jalen Johnson on the shallow crossing mm-hmm. route open as well, but he, he missed him, but still made a great throw to Rajay. So really 10 of 12 as far as like passes that should have been called. I thought he looked really good. You know, Flynn, I, I still don't think he's 100% coming off the app game. I think that affected him a little bit. And I just think this is going to be a two-quarterback deal, Joe. I mean, I, I, I've been waiting for them to, like, separate, but I just feel like right now it's going to be, hey, we'll use both, and maybe once the game gets going, one will separate. But I, I think it's going to be two quarterbacks for now. Yeah, it kind of feels like when a baseball manager goes to an opener as opposed to a starting pitcher, it's just kind of who's the hot hand that day and who can give you some innings. And if that's going to be the way of it for ECU, they have to have the kind of game plan they had last Saturday, which kind of gets Flynn in rhythm and gives him an opportunity to do what he does best and then bring in Mason on the goal line and do some quarterback run stuff and some quarterback power because that's what he does best. And if you play complementary football with that and you find a way to kind of get both of them 
equal attempts, I guess is the best way to put it. It's not a terrible system. My longtime philosophy has always been if you are a team with two quarterbacks, you are a team with no quarterbacks. But maybe I'm starting to change my tune because they, they look like they're starting to find their footing with two quarterbacks. Right now I still think you got really a half quarterback with Flynn and a half quarterback <laughs> with Garcia. So you got one quarterback is how I'm, how I'm viewing it until one of them runs away. All right. It's my I don't even know if that's a positive spin, but that's how I'm, I'm phrasing it. Uh, either way, all right, we got to get our first break in. Joe Sampson is in studio, and we uh, we got Matthew Bartlett coming up later in the show. We'll come back. We'll talk about the offense. We are live on YouTube, Facebook for our morning crowd because we got the Mike Houston press conference coming up at 1130. So if you got a question, comment, drop it there. But we'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. We'll talk to you after the break. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Tuesday, September 26th edition of Hoist the Colors. We're live in the morning on YouTube and Facebook because we've got the Mike Houston press conference coming up. Of course, if you listen to our 12 noon edition, driving around town on the radio, uh, we've already recorded, but uh, no crazy pertinent information I don't think will come to light, so you won't be missing much. Uh, Richard also on YouTube says hi. Hi, Richard. <laughs> if you got a uh, comment or question, let us know. Otherwise, we'll just continue on this discussion. We'll get into Rice here in a little bit. We had a new offensive line combination, Joe. Big moves, y'all call them. The moves? Uh, Hampton Ergle was at center. And I was kind of saying this a few weeks ago, not that I'm smarter than coaches, but because I know why they put a Hampton at right tackle. Because yeah. at the time... Owen Murphy was hurt. They needed a capable right tackle. But it just always feels like Hampton is a interior guy. And I think him going inside and some offensive line changes really helped out the group. We asked in the beginning of the season, I think it might have been immediate, they were like, why is Hampton Urkel playing right tackle? Because he started the bowl game at center. He was slated to be the center all through spring. And you bring in Dustin Hall, and Dustin Hall's a great center. But I think his strength is more at guard because of his versatility and what he can kind of do. So Hampton being at center is invaluable right now because Murphy playing a right tackle and being able to get Soccer in there too and have basically veterans, one rookie, so to speak, and then another veteran is going to be huge for the chemistry and the way they can kind of talk it out and see the crazy changes that will come in conference play. So I was very happy to see our, our wishes answered. And ECU with this best offensive line performance of the season, they only allowed four pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, on the quarterback, which is – and look, it's Gardner-Webb, but I will say Gardner-Webb for a FCS defensive front, I, I would put them towards probably the bottom of the American, but still an FBS caliber defensive yeah, front. they were huge. Yeah. I mean, but make no bones about it. They were a very large FCS front. And that's usually what kind of differentiates between FCS, FBS, and then the Power Five is the trenches. So they had a lot of size for an FCS team, and that kind of was a good test to see how this combination would kind of hold up for some size, for some speed, a couple power rushers that were really good as far as just understanding the technique and when to kind of get them off their spot. But they held well, and I don't even think they allowed a allowed one sack maybe, but I don't know if it's credited to somebody. Yeah, so they they gave a sack to Saker. I they can't remember the situation. I think it was the one where not Flynn like slips, but like his footing gets caught. Right, it was before the uh, intentional grounding penalty on the left side. Yeah, and so I mean, but overall, mm. just one sack. And to me, like, look, we saw Michigan. Even though ECU didn't give up a sack, they were pressured throughout the game. That yeah, created 
the interception or let it roll in that interception with the Garcia, you know, in the first or second drive. And, uh, to limit them to four pressures on really 30, it looks like 40 dropbacks. That's pretty good. That's um, insane. Really good for, for ECU. Parker Moore with his best game of the season at left tackle. We mentioned Owen Murphy. So, yeah, a lot of it comes down to ECU's got to stay healthy at the tackle position. That mm-hmm. allows Hampton to to come inside, and I think that's your best combination. So, you know, offensively we touched on a little bit, but do you feel like there's some building blocks there? We saw the running game get going with Javius Bond, Roger Harris, Camaro Edmonds. I think we'll know a little bit more this Saturday against uh, you know a little bit better competition. But you know, what do you make of the offense now? Really, thirty three percent of the way through the regular season. I think any time you go into a game and you can outscore your entire offensive production in a season, uh, it kind of shows exactly what you wanted, and that's that your play calling is where it needs to be. You're getting the ball to the right people, and, and you're kind of finding your stride. And I think them going to Seoul was actually a huge for the outside receiver room to kind of gain some confidence and feel like they're not just a decoy in this offense, and that's no slight on them by any means. But when you have a running back room as talented as we have, and, I mean, you saw our third running back off the bench scores two touchdowns. Yeah, they look good. <laughs> Camaro Edmonds hasn't gotten a ton of uh, carries as far as just with Marlon and Rajay and then Keaton last year and now Bond. So for him to be ready and, and the wings kind of shows the preparation of that room. And Coach Boyette's doing a really good job shifting over from the outside receivers he was with last year. Uh, it was exciting. And I'm very hesitant to kind of crown it and be like, okay, the offense is back and this is what we were waiting for. But it is a step in the right direction for sure, and I think they can capitalize on it this week. Still got one big problem with this offense, though, Joe. Shane Calhoun. No Shane Calhoun. One catch on two targets for three <sighs> yards. Now, I will say Shane graded out uh, excellent as a blocker. I bet he did. Mike Houston said this was the best blocking game Shane Calhoun has had at ECU. Like, he just went out and dominated. Most complete game I've ever seen from Shane Calhoun. And I texted him that right after the game. And I was like, hey, I know everybody's going to look and be like, you weren't in the box score. You had one catch. But that was the most complete and dominant game I've seen from Shane Calhoun just in any year. Hey, anytime you can grab a dude's face mask and face mask and get away with it, that also helps as well. Hey man. <laughs> do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. He got the hey, he got the block to spring Roger Harris's first touchdown catch and the penalty was picked up, so it's you, not a penalty. You know what they call missed penalties? What? Nothing. Didn't happen. Okay. That's why. There you go. I still need him to get the ball more. Yeah. And uh, Mike Houston did say, both on and off the air last night at the radio show, he was like, listen, I made a heavy emphasis on getting Shane Calhoun the football. And he was like, we just didn't get it to him, but he did a great job in the blocking game. So they're trying. Yeah. I, I don't know what needs to be done to get him the ball, but uh, at least they're aware. I'll say that much. This, this is true. I think for – Shane's sake and for everybody in the American sake, they know what Shane Calhoun right. can do. And for a very long three weeks, there wasn't a lot of offensive production to kind of go off. So if you have to shade to Calhoun and you make sure he doesn't get any catches, somebody's got to step up. And that's what we saw against Gardner-Webb, but they tried to go to him in Michigan. We saw the first slot fade, a little underthrown, but would have been probably a touchdown if he gets in front of it and he's two or three yards in front of that uh, safety. And then we saw what happened to Marshall. They started to go to him. He scores the touchdown. Then they kind of limit what they can do in the second half. And then App State, App State, the ball's moving well, so you can't try and change up where you're going with that one. And then he blocks exceptionally well, so you can't take him out of the blocking game and try and split him out with the flex because you want to get Bond the ball on the outside. 
So still got to get that done. Still got to get Sam Dank and more snaps. But otherwise, uh, staff's doing great. Uh, so big, big game this week. We're going to talk to Matthew Bartlett here in a little bit. But this is really not to say this it was the preseason, but this is really when the season begins. I mean, and, and listen, you look around the American right now, Joe, mm-hmm. nobody is really – I don't think the clear favorite. You'd probably yeah. still say Tulane is the betting favorite, but they have even looked vulnerable. UTSA looks down. Memphis looks solid but beatable. So I, I feel like this thing is wide open. I'm not saying ECU is going to win, but, they, I mean, they got a shot realistically if you look at the schedule to to win their first three conference games. I, I don't see a game on the schedule right now, Joe, where I'm like, ECU can't win. But the problem is – ECU still has a long way to go as a football team. It begins this week. Mm-hmm. How, how important is this week to kind of set the tone for league play? I think the first thing you have to kind of consider is, yeah, you'd call it the preseason, but Coach Houston breaks it down into non-conference and conference because those first four games mean absolutely nothing once you get to conference play. There's nobody who's going to sit back and be like, well, they're 8-4. and four. They had four losses non-conference, and obviously we pick up the one. They can't be in the American Championship game because of that. That's not how it works. It's all about conference play. So you do kind of separate and compartmentalize so you can kind of create what you want to do outside of it and know what worked well and know what didn't work well. But now that's over. You've turned to the conference games. You've turned to the slates. You've turned to thinking about how did they play whoever against whoever. How did they handle uh, UTSA's high-powered offense? How did they kind of handle Navy's wild defense? And you go from there and you pick up the pieces so this is a huge week for them to kind of measure where they are. You're playing the higher level of talent, as you mentioned, but also a high-powered offense for the defense to kind of see what they can do. Obviously, Michigan was still finding their footing in the first game, so not a great test, but this should be something interesting to watch. How weird do you think it is for the players getting ready for a conference game against Rice? None of these players have ever played Rice. <laughs> ECU has not played Rice as a program in 13 years. Yeah. Mike Houston has never faced off against the Rice head coach, Mike Bloomgren. So a lot of unfamiliarity. The only person who probably knows about Rice is Donnie Kirkpatrick as he traveled there under Skip Holtz and a couple other guys mm-hmm. on staff as well. Trip Weaver may have been a GA, obviously, Steve Shankweiler. But uh, when you look at kind of this matchup, interesting game, what, what do you think it is like from a player's perspective? It's – extremely difficult to try and put yourself in the shoes of other programs because obviously Rice is now a different Rice than it was 13 years ago coming off a, a bull berth last year and now kind of building over uh, under Bloomgren who came from Stanford and then had great stints with other places and was a Alabama GA at one point. He was a quality control coach in the NFL. So he's got that pedigree to kind of understand that this isn't the same old Rice. But it's a fan interaction thing also. I mean, we saw what happened in a hurricane for Pirates. There still was announced there were 40,000 people there. Mm. Rice might have 40 people there. So you have to kind of build your own energy and, and do what you can on the sideline and create that, and that's what you try to do in away games anyway. But it's also difficult when you're not getting heckled and booed because you're, you're not able to play the villain. Yeah, I was going to ask, like going on the road, like Boca last year, Different circumstances that that was you know in the midst of a hurricane, but there's probably no one there. Yeah, uh, you had that, but then you have the you know the dichotomy of going to Cincinnati, which is completely right. different. Whereas Pac, you know, where would you rather play if you're a player? You you want to play in front of people. Yeah. No, nobody wants to sit in an empty stadium and, and kind of try to create their own energy besides it. 
And especially when you can go on the road and create that villain aspect, like, hey, they don't want us to be here. We don't want to be here. We'd rather be at home. Like, let's shut them up. And that's what you try to do, and that's the whole week. You, you play the band music. You play the, the rock concert, as Coach Kirkpatrick likes to call it, on Thursdays when we blast the speakers as high as possible to force each other to communicate. And that's what you're hoping for. And I don't know if Rice is going to be the same game that kind of can create that atmosphere. So it's going to take some great execution because you're not able to fall back on the energy. You'll build on momentum. And at Rice Stadium, pretty big stadium, so it'll be – cavernous to a degree much like playing at temple yeah or... it is actually quite large yeah i was very surprised when i saw the uh, or the clips from uh two games ago i think it was when they played houston right? houston yeah yep. houston yep so don't think there'll be as many fans there for that game as you had the crosstown robbery so right. a lot of houston red was probably there as well so it'll be an interesting atmosphere we'll talk to matthew bartlett on the other side to kind of about the game day environment that sort of stuff and if it's gotten any better over the years with Rice going to the American. All right, let's get our uh, second break in. We will catch up with Matthew on the other side. This is a Tuesday edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're talking East Carolina heading to Rice for their conference opener. We'll have a preview of that next on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Technical difficulties lost my earpiece. We're also see this is the problem with uh, the American Athletic Conference, Joe. We're so spread out. Yeah. We we got Matthew Bartlett lined up to come on the show. He lives, of course, in Texas, and he said we got the time zones mixed up. So now he's stuck in a meeting. He is wrapping up. He will let us know when we're done uh, or when he's done. So we'll get him on the show, but. This is why we need regional conferences, yet another reason so we don't get this crap mixed up. Hey, nothing says the ACC like Texas and California, so apparently we're completely away from the regional days of the Southern Conferences, and uh, I think it was Mississippi Valley at one point or whatever it was. So now, God forbid, we don't get TV revenue money from everywhere because the USC is just the biggest Big Ten team I've ever heard of. And the Pac-2 is still holding strong. But I digress. I'll let that be Friday's show. I was we'll talk the, about Wazoo. The Pac-2 gave us a very good game on Saturday. Wazoo, big sweat. lead. Oregon State comes back, makes it interesting. Love the Pac-2, baby. Love the Pac-2. Keep them. The Pac-2. Hey, uh, how did we do on picks this week, by the way? I uh, think I had some pushes. Two, two, yeah, and two. I think both of my we both pushed or we all pushed on were pushes. Notre Dame, Ohio State, and then the Pac two game the was Pac-2, a push. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was one three and two. I know we all took the Dolphins. Which I think it was, ended up being correct. Yeah, in the NFL, really was they they won by more than six and a half? Yeah, they barely uh, squeaked by. I, I, don't I can't know. remember the final score though. I think I think the Broncos made it close. Yeah, in the first the half. Broncos scored twenty, which is respectable. Yeah, um, for their offense. Yeah, in the NFL game. I would have killed to score twenty on Sunday. Usually twenty twenty would have been enough to to beat the Patriots. Do you know? There's actually a stat. Do you know what the Jets' record would be in the last seventeen games if they scored the league average of eighteen points? I'm gonna guess fourteen and three. Fourteen and three. Yeah, I don't know how it nails so, it, but it seems right with their defense. Misery. Well, when Robert Sala is your head coach, you'd expect the defense to be good. and They are. They are, exactly. I mean, Jeff Ulbrich is going to get a head coaching nod probably at the end of the season. I just don't know where. 
And they have, what, lost, what, 15 in a row now to the Patriots or something crazy like that? Uh, yeah, last quarterback to beat the Patriots was Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's sad. That's the Harvard sad. man. Well, as we wait for uh, Matthew Bartlett to exit his meeting, we'll see if we can get him on the show before we wrap up today. So night game, we talked about it. It'll be a 6 o'clock central kickoff, which isn't terrible. But Not, yeah. 7 o'clock Eastern. Worse. Still, you you guys get to the game as players and coaches a day before, what, usually mm-hmm. mid-afternoon? Yeah, you know, usually. E- evening time, early evening. Mm-hmm. And y'all go through meetings then, dinner, all that stuff, go to, go to bed. But then you wake up Saturday for a night game. What, what is there to do? Nothing. <laughs> and uh, it's no... It's nothing against the coaches. It's nothing against how it's run. It's just how it has to be. But you wake up Saturday morning. You go to breakfast. You go to the special teams meeting. You go to the offensive meeting. Then you go to walkthroughs. Normally, if it's a nooner or a 3.30, you have like an hour or two of downtime for the 3.30 game. You go upstairs. You change. You go over for the noon. What it's the 6 o'clock game? You're sitting around from like noon to 3 o'clock. Like you're just like itching. Like, dang, can we go play football, please? Like I'm so tired of sitting in this hotel if you're in Oklahoma or if you're stuck in Texas or like one of these places where you're like this this is like there's so much going on right now outside of this hotel and I'm just sitting here waiting restudying my plays I just did the test I passed the test like we're all good there's no question sitting waiting it gets so bad at some point like guys try to take a nap other high valued athletic students like myself did homework that's why you're on your master's got to get that now. degree and then there's the other guys who are like, man, like, I'm just ready to play football. Like, I'm just bored out of my mind. So as a player, when you see it come across, if it's not like a Thursday or like a Friday where you have stuff to fill it in, it's the worst. And the American is a pretty good league. I just talked about how bad it is from being spread out. <laughs> but I'll say this from a writing perspective when I travel. I get to see some pretty cool cities. Yeah, you do. But y'all... I've seen a lot of cool hotels. Y'all just basically... Y'all, y'all, y'all have some good skylines, uh, city skylines when y'all are flying in. Uh, but yeah, then, like, couple. outside of that, y'all just go straight to the hotel. Y'all don't get to experience the city. There's a common misconception. It's like, yeah. oh, y'all are going to Houston. That'll be fun. Like, y'all are there to play the game. Heck no. We don't go anywhere. <laughs> we the were... stadium, or airport, hotel, mm-hmm. stadium, police escort, police escort to the to stadium, the, yep. police escort to the airport after. We don't go back to the hotel. We don't stay the night. We get on a flight and we come back. Obviously, it sound like first world problems. Right. So I don't want that to sound like we're complaining by any means. I'm just I'm trying to clear up the misconceptions. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to clarify and give these people what they need to know. The closest we've ever been to like having experience was last year. We went to Tulane. The hotel was like on the Mississippi River, and it was attached to a mall. Okay, that's like the closest we've ever gotten. So to- could y'all go to the mall? Yeah, because it was attached. Like okay. we got a couple minutes to like roam around. You got like and- seven minutes. <clears throat> you see a coach on an escalator, like. Nobody saw me. I didn't see him. But that's the closest you get. Other than that, like you're in the meeting room. Like you go to special teams. You go to dinner. You go upstairs. You do your test. You hand it to the GA. You go to bed. You wake up. There's no, oh, you guys are going to Louisiana. That's so much fun. You get to go to Bourbon Street. Heck no. Right. Mike Houston has us under lock and key. Maybe for a bowl game, y'all get to do something. Bowl game, yeah. Bowl game was, was a lot. Birmingham. Birmingham was Birmingham. Uh, I'm, that's no slight on Birmingham. I just didn't want to spend my Christmas in Alabama. That's that's more than all fair. these other teams are like. Yeah, we're playing in the Bahamas. It's 105, or it's like 86 degrees on the West Coast, and we're like, it's nine degrees in Birmingham, Alabama. But you know, 
Annapolis was cool though. Annapolis right? was Didn't y'all get cool. to do some like stuff in yeah, DC? Actually got to do some stuff. Yeah. yeah, Annapolis was cool. We actually did some stuff. That's we not playing the game. This... <laughs> Don't get me started. Uh, we got to go to the monuments. We did the Smithsonian. We did the African American History Museum. That was a really cool experience, just for a lot of history that some guys don't get to learn about from different backgrounds. Uh, Air and Space was sick. Pop culture is probably my favorite one because you see like the chair from All in the Family with Archie Bunker, and then you saw the fence from uh, before it was the Jeffersons. So that that was just really cool. Obviously, I can get on a whole tangent about that, and then we. Practiced at some like high school that T Jack had played, and he was oh, like, yeah. "Yeah, this is whatever prep school." But some of the facilities were really top tier, so that was an interesting experience. And then obviously, it's still being COVID. There's like limitations. And y'all got the word that y'all couldn't play. Yeah. <sighs> what do you remember about that? I remember sitting in a meeting room, and Coach Houston walks in, and he's like, "Boston College bowled out." Everyone's like, "What?" And that was the day before the game. That was the we were going to walk through yeah. and do the team picture before the game, and he's like, "Yeah, your hotel's paid for through the rest of the time. Like, obviously, if there's any issues getting home, please contact us. Let us know." Because we had kids whose families were like flying from California. Sean Dorsell was one of them, and his whole family's from Cali. So he was like, "If there's any issues, like, let us know. We'll call." So that was that was a very difficult experience for a lot of seniors who didn't yeah. get to play their last game. But I just remember the suddenness of it. We're going to meetings, and all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, emergency team meeting. And I was like, oh, this not is good. not what I want to hear. Because you are probably hearing rumblings of Yeah, you see it on issues. Twitter, and one guy texts another guy who knows somebody at BC, and they said they had a COVID case. And all of a sudden, you're like, this is not what we wanted to hear. And we saw the Fenway Bowl get canceled right before that, too. Right. I go, were you there already? Had you made it up? I was to- 45 minutes outside of DC. <laughs> I was incredibly angry. Not as angry as the guys in that locker room, but I remember getting the text and then actually calling Mike Houston just to verify. And, just be like, hey, is yeah. this real? Yeah, and it was, and it stunk. But I, I'd hated it, like for you, like you said, like for you guys like Bruce yeah. Bivens and mm-hmm. like all those guys who had put in the work, Aaron Rampsword, that didn't get the chance to play. Mm-hmm. That bowl game, but luckily y'all did get to play last year and got the dub for their sake. Beat but, the uh, mess out of the beach chickens. The beach chickens. <laughs> so I yeah, that. that was crazy though. And Boston College, I don't Ooh. know if this is just uh, I don't know if this is coach speak, but I heard y'all had like a, a tremendous week of practice and y'all were ready to to roll in that bowl game. Yeah. So I don't know I, if it would have happened. I think but we would have kicked the proverbial dog crap. mess out of yeah. them. Especially with some of their guys out due to COVID and all the opt outs, it was like a combination yeah, deal. The, they had all the NFL their players first opting round out. left guard had opted mm-hmm. out. Uh, Flowers, I think, had opted out at that point. Like, just they had nobody, and we knew what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. The defense was so ready for that pro system. Like, we spent a month on it. But <laughs> it's in the past now. Don't get me past. started. Uh, William Landon on YouTube, we kind of touched on this earlier, but he may have missed her. We can go into more detail. He mm-hmm. wants to know, how did the players, Joe, go about getting themselves up for a game that will be played in an empty stadium? Like, do y'all do anything different on the sideline as far as, I don't know, I know at home y'all kind of have like the little hype team that's yeah. not dressed out, but how about on the road? On the road, it's really just the guys that came with you, and there isn't a ton of hype teams, but obviously some injured players travel with you guys, and that kind of helps, but... It's really more of a business trip when you go to the away game, and unless you're making plays and like you can keep the energy up, and there's two or three guys who usually do it. Cause I Everett does a really good job about it. Which speaking of Big K, how do you get a, call, a holding a call holding call on your, on your first, first play, man? 
let me down. It's tough, man. Uh, I'll love the big K, though, but he does a really good job at, like, keeping people up and that energy. And, I mean, Jeremy Lewis talks trash to a trash can. So he gets everybody up at any point on the sideline if he's not on the field. So you just have your guys with you, and you kind of you go into the week expecting you're going to have to make your own energy. So maybe there's a little less music at practice. Maybe there's a little more intensity just trying to keep each other's focus, and you kind of go from there. All right, we're still awaiting Matthew Bartlett. We may not be able to get him on the show if he can't get out of this meeting soon enough. Again, terrible conference affiliation. This is why Come I, on now. I hate the time zone changes. We'll try to get him on later in the week if he can't get away here in the next few minutes. But while he can't join us, we're going to have our own Rice preview with me and Joe. Oh, heck yeah. So, Joe, the big part of this game is the JT Daniels situation. Yeah. If you're unfamiliar, he's the five-star quarterback. He was at, let's see if I can get this right. Georgia, USC, West Virginia, and now Rice. Yes. Uh, on his fourth team. In six years, I think it is, Philip. Yeah, sure. Six years. Eight. It feels like eight. Matthew Barton, thanks for joining the show, a.k.a. <laughs> Philip. <laughs> um, it's, uh, and look, listen, he's got elite arm talent. He does. He threw for 430 yards in three quarters, not even three full quarters against USF. So he's hurt. We don't know his status. Right. I think I'm not going to like say this is the absolute difference between ECU winning and losing, but I think it plays a giant role. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he was, I think it was 27 for 40 in the first three quarters with three touchdowns and no interceptions against USF. And if that's just the kind of numbers you're putting up and you haven't sniffed the ball yet in the fourth quarter and you go down, I think it was three minutes or four minutes left in the third. That's an insane amount of offensive production. And this is a team that does a lot of quick-hitting screens and kind of that super spread, but not to the level that Gardner-Webb kind of relies so heavily on it. So they have a lot of quick hitters, but uh, Tui Asopo is a former uh, Washington quarterback, finished eighth in the Heisman voting, former Rose Bowl MVP, was with the head coach when he was in New York as a quality uh, control coach for the Jets. So they have a really good understanding of like what works and what doesn't and how to make your offense go. And we've seen a lot of different receivers and tight ends kind of pick up the slack over the last few weeks. And I was absolutely dumbfounded to see that freshman has like 14 catches for 258 and like six touchdowns. Yeah, th- this is a this is a pretty high powered uh, Rice team, and I yeah, 37 to 10 loss to Texas, mm-hmm. but then they beat. Houston, we all know how good Houston is, 43-41. <laughs> Crush a bad Texas Southern team, they're 0-4, but they beat them 59-7 uh, from the FCS ranks, and then obviously the 42-29. But this this team can score. Again, yeah. a lot of that is JT Daniels. But they also have Luke McCaffrey, 20 catches for 370 yards, 18.5 yards per catch. So you're going to have to be aware of where he is at all times. This is a Rice team averaging 323 yards a game in passing. And under 100 rushing. So they're they're not going to try and, and pound the rock and, and limit time of possession or anything like that. They're going to try and spread it out. And McCaffrey's done a really good job at kind of being that in-between guy where he can play in the slot. He's played some on the outside, very limited, but he can still kind of get open against some cover four and some cover two when they play to the sideline so he can find his hole. But we need to also examine that if there is no JT Daniels, there's going to be some kind of something's messed up. Like there's a real issue for what they're going to try and do here. If they're going to double pass. They're going to go for a wildcat look with McCaffrey maybe or something like that to try and get ECU off of its number. Yeah, and I think, too, again, playing on the road, we saw ECU just play a tremendous game defensively. I'm not going to say ECU is going to 
shut Rice out, I think that's a very bad expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you consider? Let's say JT Daniels is out. Yeah. What would you consider is a reasonable expectation as far as point total? I know this is early in the week, but like, you know, we we know ECU's offense is probably still not going to go out and score thirty mm-hmm. plus every game. So like, if you hold them to the low twenties, you're going to have a good shot to win. Yeah, I'd probably say twenty one. That's that's where I'd probably lean to. They're fourteen and sixteen in the red zone, and all of them are touchdowns. So they they score often. I think they have nineteen total touchdowns this year. So this isn't one of those where you can be like, hey, it's going to be a ten three ball game. No, this is old school. Big 12, 48-45 kind of football that they want to play because they know that their defense can't sustain that kind of stop that ECU's kind of put on tape. Uh, so I would kind of put the low 20s probably in the judgment range, but don't be surprised if it's higher. And the interesting thing about McCaffrey, he's got the 20 catchers for the 370 yards. Their second leading receiver is their running back, Dean Connors. He's mm-hmm. got 16 grabs, 194 yards. A lot of that coming on an 80-yard play earlier this season. But then there's a pretty big drop-off. You mentioned the tight end. He's got several catches. So it seems like, at least, again, I'm just looking at the stats here, if you can slow down McCaffrey and yeah. the, the running game, they only had one net yard rushing. Now, that was after sacks against uh, against uh, this past weekend against USF. But yeah. still, they threw for like 497 yards and had a one-yard rushing. So uh, I think you've got a shot to slow down their running game a little bit, especially if Daniels is in. The other quarterback is more mobile, mm. so that could play a factor. But you, it looks like to me you can make them a little one-dimensional. If you can make them one-dimensional, you find a way to win the game. And that's a South Florida team that held Alabama to yeah. very few points that – is very uncharacteristic of the Alabama we've known of the last few years. And JT Daniels didn't look bad by any means. He looked sharp. He had a good game. They had a good game plan going through it. But USF just scored. And that's going to be the answer is it's always what we talk about. It's not going to be ECU's defense versus Rice's offense. It's going to be ECU's offense versus Rice's defense because Rice's defense is by no means Marshall or Michigan or App State. They let plays up they have lapses and coverages they kind of let the explosive plays build their own grave i guess is the best way to put it because they are so keen on okay offense is going to score anyway just try and hold them and try and do what you can do 597 yards for south florida this past saturday yeah and byron brown their quarterback threw for 435 and he ran for 82 so he accounted for over 500 yards himself. So 919 legend. Kind of, yep, North Carolina guy. ECU, I don't think, offered out of high school or didn't recruit too hard now at South Florida. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's going to be a talented player. But uh, you, you look at that and you wonder, hey, if they had success with the design of runs from the quarterback, maybe this could be a potential Mason Garcia game. That's the first thing you think of, especially with the quarterback power ECU's kind of put in over the week or the last two weeks, excuse me, and we saw it on the goal line against Gardner-Webb, and you didn't have to pull it out, but to have the confidence to kind of go to it in a game like that off such a light load of Mason Garcia getting the snaps that he needs with the ones to feel comfortable running that play kind of speaks to what they want to do in the quarterback game. All right, we got another break to get in. Matthew just texted me said he's available, but I don't think we're going to have time to get him on today. We only got about five minutes left in the show. So we'll try and line him up for later in the week, and we'll get a further in-depth uh, preview of Rice as we get closer to game day. This is Hoist the Colors. We'll be right back. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. 
We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back to the show. It's been a fun hour. I just built water on myself. <laughs> Our guest, uh, guys, time zone mixed up. We're going to try to get him on either Thursday or Friday show, Matthew Bartlett from The Roost. But, hey, we handled the rice preview just fine, I think. I think we did okay. I think this is what I get paid for, the whole football yeah. analyst thing, minus my sound bites and my constant Jets fandom. Uh, the impromptu, the impromptu fill-in, look, we, we didn't expect to dive headfirst into Rice on a Tuesday. Knees bent, I go. Yeah. Knees bent. You got to be ready. That's that's what Coach K used to always tell me when he used to tell me I should also live in a box. Huh. That's That's tough. Knees bent in a box. All right, we were talking about a couple minutes left here. Bad travel issues. Scott Rogers, who's uh, doing some production work today, who calls baseball play-by-play. He was talking about the unfortunate trip from Dallas to Wichita via bus as the ECU baseball team got stuck and had to bus. What was your worst travel? Y'all chartered to a lot of places. Yeah. Did you have any major travel issues? Let's see. Um... not a major travel issue, but just an absolute curveball that I can think of was the COVID game against uh, Temple. We couldn't fly into Philly. So we had to fly into Delaware, stay an hour and a half away in Delaware. Why? To, because Philly had so much COVID restrictions. Okay. Like we couldn't have as many people in a room that's at one right, point. That's right. I remember that. Now. Like they were like full lockdown. We weren't sure if we were even going to be able to play the game early in the week or if it was going to have to move locations. So we flew into Delaware. Drove an hour and a half airport-wise to get close enough to be near Philly that was still an hour away to Philly to drive in that day for the game to then somehow fly out of the airport right near the link. It's a lot. That, it, was a, it was a lot. I can't lie. Uh, I don't know if it's as bad as Scooter's story with the whole charter and having to drive all the way to Wichita, Kansas because what's in Kansas, but... Uh, that was probably one. Two was probably there was a flight. We were on Cincinnati trying to fly back, and that was the worst turbulence we've ever experienced, so much so that the mask came down. Oh, gosh. And there was like two or three players that had never flown before. I bet they were losing <laughs> their minds. And they had like the Bible crutch. Like you see the old uh, Hispanic grandmother stereotype movies with the Bible right. and the rosary, like just holding on for dear life next to the strength coaches and Big John's like not fitting in a seat like this. <laughs> So, Fun times. Yeah, not, nothing like too crazy. Obviously, we're very fortunate with the chartering. A lot of other teams don't get to charter like that, and they go through normal airports and other things like that. So still grateful, but yeah, couple close calls. Commercial flights for a whole football team would not be fun. Uh, so glad I, y'all charter. Yeah, thank God, especially at the bowl games. Yeah, it's a necessary expense, although an expensive one. Well, we've reached the end of our time. Joe, this has been fun. Uh, we will... Have a more official rice preview later <laughs> in the week, but I think we handled it all right, and we told many of fun stories as well. I hope people enjoyed. <laughs> I think they did. They enjoy that more than rice talk, anyways. I mean, who cares about a team? Go Owls. Time zones away. <laughs> of course, we have these mix-ups as a result of this conference. <sighs> the American. <laughs> all right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back Wednesday at twelve noon. Bobby Harwood will join us. We'll talk then. This has been Hoist the Colors on ninety four three The Game.
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 the game.